Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Live from quarantine, it's Good Movie Monday. I'm only joking. Uh, we're not quite at that stage yet, although who the hell knows what the next week has in store for us. It's a strange world we're living in, but happy Monday to you. This is, of course, Good Movie Monday, your weekly rise and shine pick-me-up. We are that delicious cup of coffee to get your week off to the right start. And I can say that because Keith is not here to put forth his tea defence, which is a running joke if you've been listening to the past episodes. My name is Glenn Cochran, and as I mentioned, Keith is not here with us this week, but no, he's not in quarantine, so don't worry. He's probably off sipping Dilmar and watching Moonraker somewhere. Nevertheless, the show must go on, and I have a special guest here in his place, writer, director, Matthew Holmes, mate. It's great to have you here. Thanks for taking the Corona Challenge and braving the uh, elements. Oh, very welcome, and thanks for having me on, man. It's going to be fun. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. So Matthew is the writer and director of the increasingly iconic Bush Ranger film, The Legend of Ben Hall, which was actually his sophomore film following the hugely overlooked Twin Rivers. I'm sure you don't mind me calling Twin Rivers overlooked. Oh, no, let's be honest, man. No. It's it's becoming one of my favourite films, so I'm looking forward to talking about that, and we will talk about both films shortly, amongst other things, but first, I want to get a little bit of a sense of what you're into. What type of movies do you gravitate towards these days? These days, look, I, I tend to be going towards drama. Maybe it's um, something about getting older, but, uh, you know, the action and the and the frivolous sort of stuff is seems to be falling away, and I just I just yearn for great drama. So you're turning into an old man. I think I think so, <laughs> and I'm I can't deny it anymore. So, so you were you ever once like into genre films heavily? Oh, I know you love Blade Runner, right? Oh yeah, that's of course one of my favourites. But oh yeah, look, I was um, massively into genre stuff. I think in the '90s and so on, it really much more so. Yeah. Um, but I find that now they're just sort of great memories and now I tend to gravitate towards the, the dramas like the John Wick films I probably would have loved them in the, like yep. 20 years ago but now I'm like yeah but I guess that's a good thing because that kind of informs the movies you make absolutely oh yeah yeah absolutely so I, I tend to you know I usually just make the kind of films that I personally enjoy and I think so far it's reflecting where I'm where I'm heading and what I like. So Awesome. Well, we're going to get stuck into your work real soon. But first, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the last week. And there is no escaping the bloody coronavirus. It's everywhere. It's affected everyone. Now, of course, this is a brutally serious issue. And here at Good Movie Monday, we hope that everyone is looking after themselves. You know the advice, so stick with it and we will prevail. But having said that, we will also continue to take the piss out of it because, you know, that's what we do. Here. Yeah, there's a you could, there's a lot of humor out there around it, and I'm I am loving the humor as much as I'm detesting the terrible behavior that we're seeing. But there, there is a silver lining here. Absolutely, and you know the fact that it affects all of us means that you can take the piss, right? We're Absolutely. all we're all in it together. Exactly. This bastard of a thing came along right as we were trying to launch this show. So for the past four weeks, it seems that's all we've ever been talking about, and it's even affected you. Yes, yes, I was on the on the on that precious brink of getting some finance for a movie and the coronavirus hit us and it's all falling out of my hands like like sand. So oh, and look and we're going we are going to explain your film The Legend of Ben Hall in a few minutes. Um but there's also the fact that you had a crowdfunding campaign lined up for that one to release a director's cut. Now, I reckon it's pretty obvious, but can you elaborate a little bit on why you decided to pull the plug on that last week? Yeah, look, it's quite simply because I saw that our pledges dry up along with this coronavirus thing, and I could see that we weren't going to hit that. Uh, we weren't going to hit that target, and so um, when I saw that happening, the best thing I thought was just to rather than let it peter out and die, just pull the plug on it and know that we can return to it later if we want to. So it just seemed like the most prudent thing, and also the most responsible thing. I think people have got better things to spend their money on at the moment. You know, there's a lot of financial stress. So this just seemed like the right thing to do at the yeah, time. You did put out a pretty heartfelt video of that also last week. So, yeah. you know, people can go to the Legend of Ben Hall uh, Facebook page and check that out mm. and just follow what you have been doing and what you've got planned. So 
you know, that is exciting nonetheless. So hopefully when this all blows over, you'll be back on track. I think so. The fans are hugely supportive. Everyone who has said, hey, look, when you launch it again, if you launch it again, we're right behind you. So I know they're there. So I think in, in the world of COVID and whatnot, the biggest piece of news in the entertainment industry would be that Universal have made the incredible decision to fast track a lot of their theatrical releases to yeah. streaming and, and video on demand. Uh, just a couple of titles would be The Invisible Man and The Thank Hunt. God. Yeah, and Emma. I missed and it on cinemas and I was about to go and I'm like, oh, the cinema's shut. Oh, well, okay. I was about to ask what are your thoughts on this because I think it's, it's it could be a real precipice here, you know. Yeah, and, and it is, absolutely. And I think um, what I'm interested to see is if they keep this going after the – that's yeah. where I – I mean, I can understand this as like a temporary bridge for this period. But, I mean, I guess it's going to depend on, look, money is the key. And if this is financially successful and it works for them, they may keep it going. Um, I don't know, but they're going to charge you like $20 to watch it, right? Which is cheap when you consider that it was $20 per person. So if you took a family to the cinema, well, that's right. You know, but for me at home on my own, $20, if I, if someone says you can pay $20, watch it at home or you pay $20, watch it in the cinema, I'm not going to go to the cinema. Oh, me too. You know, I just, I just, I don't know how I feel about this one. I mean, obviously if you are at home in quarantine, this is amazing. Of course. You know, you can catch up. The Invisible Man is incredible. For example, Disney also fast tracking uh, Frozen 2 and Rise of the Skywalker to VOD which wow. were coming out on home entertainment. Um, well, Frozen 2 is already out. Yep. Skywalker is imminent. And, you know, that's good. But I, f I fear the, the culture of going to the cinemas is, is sort of look, really I, dropping away here. Yeah, I fear it too, man. And um, look, it might. And look, I've got my own sort of opinions on streaming as it is. I, I can't help but feel that streaming is devaluing movies. Um, as a filmmaker, I know how hard it is to make money from movies and streaming doesn't feel like our friend yeah. it's the friend to the consumer but it's not a great friend to the filmmaker i don't even particularly think it's a friend to the consumer in the fact that i think too much you know is out there like there is just yeah. you know sometimes you can have too much of a good thing and that's what i think streaming does it, it sort of makes you jaded when you're going through that menu and you, you yeah. say hey I'm, i'll come back to that one and then you scroll for another half an hour and you yep. don't come back to it and I think there's too much out there. Yeah. I mean, you could. many people will argue that's a good thing, but I won't. Um, no, I think I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. But I, I also I can't, with streaming, um, I go through those lists too quickly. To me, it's like walking down one aisle of a video store and going, oh, oh is that it? Where's the other seven or eight aisles worth? Totally. So, you know, sometimes there's not enough on that streaming content or not enough variety or something. So, I don't know, man. I'm I yearn for a video store but that's because i'm a 90s boy anyway but i assume that if you're listening to this show then you are a proper movie lover so i would implore you to go straight back to the cinemas as soon as this crisis is over show the studios that you want big screen theatrical films you know support that stuff because the cinemas are going to struggle even uh palace cinemas here in australia have closed their doors for the time being i think the uh, others are about it. to follow suit yeah yeah, no. Nah, we, well, all we have to do is when this is all over is we just have to go out collectively in hordes. But I just hope there's something to watch. Actually, everything's getting pushed. Yeah. So there should be a great, like a back catalogue of awesome cinema we can just flock to. I mean, I wanted to see The Quiet Place and, of course, there's Bond and... Um, and, you know, most films are shit these days, so it'll be like unclogging a toilet, mate. It will it'll, a bit. <laughs> it'll just come rushing through. <laughs> so there is an upside to that. Anyway, I'm sick and tired of talking about this damn virus, so I'm going to let Guillermo from Screen Realm wrap up the corona news for you, and then we'll be back to talk about Twin Rivers. Happy to be here. Guillermo from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website to do with all things movies and television. What a crazy time, huh? Feels like we're living in a uh, post-apocalyptic or pre-apocalyptic movie. I don't know. It's pretty crazy, but I hope everyone's safe out there. I hope everyone's staying calm and watching as many movies and TV shows as you can. Going to cover some of what Screen Realm has covered in the past week. A lot of it is, of course, coronavirus related. Idris Elba is one of the latest celebrities to get it, but he's doing well. A few TV stars have gotten it as well. Game of Thrones, Alum, Indira Varma, she's tested positive, and also Daniel Day Kim. Daniel Day Kim, you may know from Hawaii 5.0. Um, they seem to be both doing okay. They both have also, just like with Idris Elba and a couple of other celebrities, are all pointing out to ensure that you self-isolate and wash your hands, all that jazz. A lot of it is common sense, so I hope everyone out there is practicing just that. Of course, events left, right, and center are also being affected by the coronavirus. We have the Sydney Film Festival. It's been canceled. The French Film Festival that was also happening in Australia was cut short. It did manage to have a bit of a window, but as with so many other events and conventions,
extensions, the fact that there's now orders in place to limit the crowds that can congregate, well, that's the end of that. This unfolding pandemic also means that a number of studios out there are looking at how best to release the films that they've got and avoid losing a ton of money, which means we've got a number of films hitting digital release earlier than planned. Kicking off in the US at least, films like Birds of Prey, The Way Back, The Invisible Man, The Hunt, Emma, they're all going to be made available on digital much earlier than planned and Bloodshot as well. This just makes sense, especially since a lot of us are going to be quarantining or self-isolating and streaming is the best option right now. And if you're wondering what to watch, we've got fun articles going up telling you exactly just that. One article written by Fake Shemp's own Glenn is titled, What to Watch? These movies on Netflix may raise your spirits during isolation. During these dour times, there are films out there that can make you feel a little better. And these ones happen all be on Netflix. So check out that article. We've got films like Kiki's Delivery Service, the classic Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan film, You've Got Mail, and the Kira Knightley, Mark Ruffalo music film, Begin Again. These are just some of the suggestions on that list. Make sure you go read the article. It's a fun little read and it might make you feel a little better to get some light viewing in. On the other end of the spectrum, our New Zealand based writer Adam Carson came up with an article titled 10 Pandemic Films You Probably Shouldn't Watch Right Now or Maybe You Should. It's a smart ass little tongue in cheek article basically talking about 10 films that cover pandemics and cover post-apocalyptic viruses etc etc it's a fun top 10 not meant to be taken seriously so please check it out uh, have a laugh we've got films like the crazies in there i am legend the m9 Shyamalan absolute masterpiece the happening with what no performance by mark Wahlberg. check out that article We've also had a couple of reviews go up, one for a Colombia set film called Monos, a brutal, beautiful film about child soldiers. Uh, John Noonan reviewed it. It's supposed to come out here in Australia on March 26th by Mad Men Films, but we'll see what happens with that release. It's supposed to be a decent film. John liked it quite a bit. He did say that the message was ultimately a little hard to grasp. That being said, three out of five. He says, see it on a big screen if you can, even if that screen is in your house and let the performances and scenery wash over you and carry you away. And then we had Adam Fleet review the recently released Netflix series, I Am Not Okay With This. Now, if you're a fan of another Netflix series called The End of the Effing World, this may be one that you want to add to your list. It only has seven episodes, half an hour eps, something like that. So you can smash this one out in a single afternoon binge if you want. It's basically a coming of age tale about a teenage girl. She's going through a hard time. Teenagehood is hard. Family life is hard. School's hard. And guess what? She also discovers she's able to move and frequently destroy objects around her with her mind. Adam Fleet really enjoyed it, giving it four out of five stars. So if you're looking for something to smash on Netflix, maybe this is one you should add. Speaking of stuff to watch, we've added both April schedules for Netflix and Stan. That's right, it's never too early to know what's coming up, especially as we're going to be staying indoors for the near future, everyone. So make sure you check out the Netflix schedule and the Stan schedule for what's coming out in April. We've got them there in full. I think I'll leave it around there regarding Screen Realm news. A quick announcement regarding Screen Batch, our subscription service for screen lovers. Unfortunately, due to this whole time of craziness that's going on, we've had to put Screen Batch on hold for a while. If you're a Screen Batch member, we have sent out emails explaining much more and what it means for your account but Screenbatch will be back and bigger and better than ever. So if you're not a Screenbatch member and you like movies and TV and all that jazz, make sure you go to Screenbatch.com and you can put your name down to be notified for when we are back in action. That's it for me, guys. Hope you all stay safe out there. Keep calm. Keep watching good movies and television. Catch you soon. We interrupt this program to bring you a motivational message from West of Scarefest Television. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh, who also drove a nail in a donkey's ass and couldn't figure out why he was always in a bad mood. Now we do hear from Wes every week and some of you might be wondering why. It's because I produce and present a segment on Scarefest Television every week where I look back at Australian horror films. So if you head over to their Facebook page, The Scarefest, and, or just visit fakeshemp.net's YouTube channel to check out my specific segments and uh, you'll see what that's all about. Um, but for now, let's pick some Matthew Holmes' brain. Oh, yes. Yes. So pick I, away. <laughs> I believe you started as an animator. Is that right? Yes. I so, guess I started... I mean, I've been making live-action films since I was 14 with my own Star Wars epic that you can see on YouTube called Star Wars. Um, so I, I've always been doing live action stuff, but just with my brothers and sisters, you know. But animation is where I really, um, 
I guess became a professional filmmaker. Mm. Um, after high school, I walked out of I walked out of uh, high school and just went straight into an animation company. Um, they they like what I did. Obviously, they threw me some part time casual work, and then for the next fifteen years, I gradually just pushed my way up into one of the senior positions there. Wow. So am I right to assume that you were one of the guys behind the Schmackos commercial? Yes, I am one of them. I mean, I didn't create them or write them or anything, but I have spent many, many years <laughs> animating them and uh, sculpting them. That might be the most iconic thing you've done. It could be, yeah. yeah. But there was also Louis the Fly and there's also the home hardware commercials. Louis the Fly. Okay, now we're talking iconic. Yeah, and yeah, the home hardware, Rusty and Sandy. Also, uh, Mr. Mr. Reach Toothbrush, you yeah. know, Flip Top Head Man. Yeah, so wow. I worked on lots of... Uh, rice bubbles, um, you know. <laughs> None of these are sponsors. I must. Add. They're not. So, but, but uh, yeah, I've worked on a lot of. We worked on a lot of campaigns, uh, a lot of international stuff as well. So, how did you go from animation to directing feature films? I know you said you worked on sort of you know live action as you know during your youth, but how did you jump into the feature film world? Well, I uh, I did it just by doing it myself. I during that time working there, I always knew that where I really wanted to go was in live action narrative drama yep so i bought myself working there i now had a little bit of money so i bought myself a camera and um, that was very expensive at the the day seven thousand dollars was cost me a fortune and uh, i shot twin rivers on it so i just started um chewing away um at shooting this film over a four-year period and then over a two-year period putting it all together so it was a it was an entire chapter of my life and i kind of consider it my film school movie like the self-taught film school movie that I made um, while I was working as an animator. Well, I know, look, I know that, you know, Ben Hall is a mammoth project and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I can't comprehend how you made this one. Twin Rivers, to me, is just... It's one of those films I watch, and I've, I've seen it several times now. Oh, it's nice. And I just can't comprehend how you managed to get something with such quality for what you had at your disposal. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think I was... Maybe a little ignorant, um, and I had already. I've got, I've sort of come into this. Uh, I got this theory now. With you want to be a filmmaker, uh, you have to get your train to leave the station. Mm-hmm. You know, even if there's no track, get the train away from the station and rolling, and just go. And then before you you'll lay that track before the train arrives. So just start going. And I think that's just what happened with Twin Rivers. We just started it, and it just grew and grew and I didn't have any perception of how big it was going to be when I started it was actually started small much like the Ben Hall story and um, before you know it you've got this unwieldy thing on your hands and you've just got to you've just got to finish it for people that have never heard of Twin Rivers can you just sort of give a really brief synopsis of what the film is about okay the story is about two brothers in 1939 Australia who are walking the roads between Broken Hill and Melbourne as many young men did in the day uh, looking for work, they have a plan to start a business when they arrive. But of course, on the journey, their uh, relationship um, struggles through some through some things, and they sort of go their own separate ways. Twin rivers. So yeah, that's that's a basic synopsis. And the brothers are played by yourself and your brother. They are. I thought uh, it was a good idea that two brothers should play two brothers. I was keen to flex my acting chops. It's also cheap. Cheaper, and I knew I could depend on me to be to turn up, yep. and I knew I could depend on my brother to turn up. You know, we were still living at home, he and I, so it seemed to make sense. But once I started, I realised that being in front and behind on your <laughs> debut feature, terrible idea, terrible idea. Well, that's that's completely documented on the Blu-ray release that you put out. There's a documentary, you know, behind the scenes of this yes. film, and it's quite epic. The, the the doco is as epic as the film itself. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I released the movie and to a rather a, to a bit of a thud. You know, it didn't. Ha- <laughs> no, no one saw it. Nothing happened. It you know it took a year before it even got picked up by a distributor. And this resounding thud broke my heart. And um, as every film will do, it'll break your heart. And I felt the most pain was that nobody knew how much effort I'd put in. Mm. And all my crew had put in. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to tell the world 
uh, or as much anyone that will hear, I'm going to tell them how much effort we put in, and that's why I made this massive documentary on it. It's an incredible documentary. It's a real eye-opener, and anyone that's sort of interested in filmmaking should definitely watch it out. And I've seen the original film on the DVD version, and I have seen the new Blu-ray. Yep. The Blu-ray is stunning. Like, for such a small and obscure film, this is an incredible release. So, hats off to you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I had some great help. My good friend, Peter Sylvester, who was the DOP on Ben Hall, who didn't shoot um, Twin Rivers, but he he really helped me get that through post-production and helped me build that, that Blu-ray and everything. So I owe him a lot. And can people still get hold of it? Yes, I have a box. I have um, maybe maybe 50 left of Blu-ray. All the DVDs are sold out. Where can they find that? They can have to find it on eBay yep. or they can just contact me on Facebook. Excellent. Well, definitely get your hands on it. Like if you're listening to this, hopefully we've wet your whistle because I would like everyone to get onto this film. Obviously, I'm a massive fanboy of it. And I do feel compelled to talk about it at every opportunity. Thank you. Um, but I'm also a massive fan of The Legend of Ben Hall. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes' time. Uh, but first, let's hear what's happening in Jarrett's neck of the woods. Hey, it's Jarrett, and this is PE class. And in the land of skunks, he who has half a nose is king. Or in this instance, he who home ends wins. Flawless victory. This week on Home Entertainment, if you're shutting yourself inside and quarantining, you can check these films out on physical or digital. Anyway, kicking off with Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment's releases, first up, we've got the incredibly bad remake of Black Christmas. I say remake loosely because it's the loosest reworking of a film ever, really only in title. Anyway, it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. I'm going to try and hold my opinions aside on this one. And special feature-wise, there's a commentary track with director Sophia Tackle, which hopefully includes an apology for having put you through this piece of shit. Uh, There's also an alternate ending, deleted and extended scenes, and there's three featurettes. One that's entitled The Remaking of a Cult Classic, which is um, probably should be retitled Destroying Something Sacred and Capitalising with Crap. But anyway, moving on, another torrid home entertainment release this week is Playing With Fire, which I unfortunately saw theatrically at a media screening. God, it was painful. Uh, Anyway, it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And you know how some... Well, I mean, all DVDs and Blu-rays have classification ratings on them, but some have the consumer advice for specific things the film may contain. Uh, I feel like this one should have a warning about how horrible this movie is and how unfunny it is, just to give you a heads up. Anyway, special features-wise, it includes deleted scenes, bloopers, featurettes, and story time with John Cena. I almost feel that the film should have like an introduction from John Cena also that basically warns you now's probably the best time to turn off you've seen the paramount logo you've seen the menu you've seen the best stuff on this disc turn it off playing with fire is horrible uh moving on to something finally good that's coming out this week on home entertainment and that's the adams family it's hitting blu-ray and dvd now this is the new animated adams family film it's actually the first animated adams family film to go to cinemas and i had a lot of fun with this as did glenn as well and you can read my thoughts on this monster fest uh, there's a review there on the website. Actually, there's a review there for Black Christmas too if you want to hear me um, rag on that a little bit further. But I really dug Adam's Fem. I thought it was great. I thought Nick Kroll was fantastic as Uncle Fester. And the Blu-ray and DVD are actually laden with a bunch of special features, including deleted and extended scenes. There's three featurettes, and the featurettes cover everything from the characters in the film right through to the animation process behind the film, uh, even beginning with storyboards. And then there's two lyric videos to round it out. Also out in home entertainment this week from Fox Home Entertainment is Jojo Rabbit, which is coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K UHD. Uh, this is the latest film from director Taka Watiki, and it's got a bunch of special features. It's one of the biggest special editions I've seen of late. It's got a commentary track, it's got deleted scenes, it's got a feature it's got outtakes, it's even got the trailer and teaser, which are becoming increasingly rare to find on home entertainment releases these days. So that is really, really cool. Anyway, that's all the stuff that's coming out this week, but I just want to dig back to last month's recommended title, a film, in fact, that I loved that was released last year in cinemas and, in my opinion, sort of got overlooked. And I feel kind of the same way about its home entertainment release last month, and that movie's Blinded by the Light, which is available on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. And Blinded by the Light is just such a beautiful, heartfelt, and hilarious coming-of-age tale about a, a young teenager of Pakistani heritage really finds himself and changes the path and course of his life through the music of the boss Bruce Springsteen and it's a terrific film from the director of Bend It Like Beckham 
the Blu-ray's got a commentary track from the director. There's also, I think, about three featurettes as well, which, in my opinion, trumps the US release because the US release does not have the commentary track. It's only got the featurette and a handful of deleted scenes. So definitely pick up the local release. I mean, you can get it everywhere from Mighty Ape, Amazon, JB, wherever. You can order it online if you don't want to step out into a store and, you know, uh, risk being around people. Uh, or you can stream it online through any of the major VOD platforms like iTunes, Google, uh, Big Pond. But I recommend picking up that physical release so you can get the special features. Anyway, that's me for this week. Until next time, get physical. Well, thank God for Jojo Rabbit because those are some pretty shit titles hitting the shelf this week. Uh, well, there's always next week. But big ups to Jarrett as always. And now let's talk about Ben Hall. I think it's safe to say, Matt, that you have an obsession with Australia's colonial past. I do. That's I admit it. Guilty. Yeah. Where does that come from? <sighs> you know, I I don't know. I all I know. I think it's in my genes. My grandpa was a. a my, gra- my grandpa was massively into Hollywood musicals and my other grandpa was into westerns. And these two guys had that kind of influence on me. And um, I re- distinctly remember being 13 years old and going, I want to make a Ned Kelly film one day. And that's kind of been with me ever since, that idea of you know a western but Australia's version of it. Yep. And I think I've just carried that ever since. It's just a part of my brain function now how did you come across the character of ben hall in the first place uh because i wanted to make the ned kelly film and it broke my heart in 2000 i was in the middle of shooting um twin rivers that the heath ledger one was announced and i was like damn it so um i went along and watched it twice at the cinema and um i was it's a little yeah it was good but not as good as i thought it should have been yeah and um and i went away brokenhearted and i was actually writing territorial another film i'm trying to get up was colonial past again because I couldn't make my Ned Kelly film and then my friend of mine I was writing it with said hey man you need to check out characters like Ben Hall Frank Gardner and I'd never heard of them before so and as soon as I looked them up and started reading about it it was all just like oh my god this why isn't this on the cinema this is amazing stories I didn't know this was real the stories are just there for the taking they are so I think if you are a natural storyteller you're looking for content to tell and then you find a story in a history book like that that you didn't know of and you know other people don't know of you instantly just see possibilities. They just come flying at you. So, Well, I yeah. think the thing that really attracts me to the stuff you do and the reason I love it is because you have a really strong focus on the history as opposed to the lore, yep. like the folklore. Yep. And I, there's authenticity to what you're doing. So I think Ben Hall just speaks to that in spades. But Thank let's you. just, for, our, for the benefit of our overseas listeners, let's explain that a bush ranger is essentially Australia's version of an outlaw. So I think... Bandits of the Wild West and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think Billy the Kid, Jesse James, except Australia's version of it. Yeah, absolutely. So clearly we haven't got enough time to pick apart the film to you know in absolute detail, but I do remember that it began as a short film with a crowdfunding campaign. Now, I don't know how I fell off the radar, but I remember checking back in on it and suddenly it was a full-blown feature film. Ah, yes. What happened there? Well, um... He said, I wanted to make a... Look, I had a $30 million Ben Hall film script written, planned, and sitting on my shelf that I thought I would make when I was about 55. And then um, I got a little restless, and I wanted to make a short film in the Ben Hall world. And I thought, well, the only way I can afford that is if I crowdfund something, and I just thought, I'll give it a go. Yeah. I, I set the benchmark really high, 75000 Didn't actually think I would reach it. Mm-hmm. But I thought, it's the only way I'm going to do it. And then I ended up over-financing to 120000 130 somewhere in there, to my absolute surprise. And so we, of course, made this 20-minute short film, 40 minutes, yeah. because we had extra money. Um, but uh, And after three weeks of filming, we ran out of money, hadn't quite shot everything yet, and I thought I was going to go on the round to another Kickstarter round to, to finance it. And a lot of the people I was working with started seeing the footage. They really impressed with it, and they said, why, why don't we keep going? Why, yeah. don't, why don't we just bite the bullet and keep going. Yeah. And my initial response was, no damn way. Yeah. I cannot make my big $30 million Ben Hall film like on, on you know, on one thirtieth of that. I can't yeah. do that. Um, and they said, well, can you somehow adjust your script? Mm. So essentially I took the, the, the last act of my big Ben Hall script and mm-hmm. I turned the, the last 30 pages. I then stretched that out, filled in a lot of the history and turned that into the, what well, you've got I'm, today. I'm glad you did because what, what do you do with a 40-minute film? 
Well, I was just making it for fun. Yeah. Like I was only I didn't I didn't care what I, I was going to use it for. Yeah. I just thought it would be a great uh, maybe like a good ad to maybe take to a producer one day and yeah. go, "Well, this is sort of what I think the feature could be like." Sure. I it, I mean film festivals, sales, I whatever. I didn't really care. Yeah. I just wanted to make a film. Well, it worked out for the best. It did. It <laughs> the, did. the discrepancy between the humble creation of Twin Rivers and this colossal undertaking of Ben Hall I'm sure there were challenges on Ben in all kinds of ways, but what were some of the biggest challenges of making the film and what lessons from, say, Twin Rivers were most valuable during the production? One thing I didn't have with Twin Rivers was a finished script when I started shooting. The script just kept getting written while we were shooting and changing and reshoots and so on. With Ben Hall, I started with a, with a finished script and I think I noticed the difference there, so that was a lot better. So I, I learned my lesson there. But... They're just so different beasts. Twin Rivers was me and two or three guys with a video camera. No crew, no catering, no producers, nothing. It was just that. And our entire unit was my car and anything we could fit in it. That's how we shot that movie. And then Twin Ru- uh, sorry, then Ben Hall was this whole other beast. I had crew, I had a DOP, because I had to be my own DOP yeah. and on Twin Rivers. So just having crew around that could do all this stuff, to me, was just it was a totally different ballgame. So... Um, and now I've really just come away from Ben Hall with all my lessons about what to do and not to do next time, more so than what I really learned on Twin Rivers. Well, can we just back it up a little bit? Can you explain to everyone who Ben Hall is and what his story is? Sure. Um, ben Hall is an Australian bushranger who, he started off as a relatively normal guy, a cattle, cattle man. He was a respected, well-known you know, local guy up in sort of a regional area of New South Wales. And... He, his marriage fell apart and his life started falling apart. He fell in with um, some bad people. He started you know, getting into trouble with the law. And it was a bit of a frog in a boiling water situation. He just kept getting into trouble and kept hanging around the wrong people, made bad choices, and, and the escalation just blew up. Um, and then before he knew it, he was, he was robbing people, writing, you know, trying to keep one step ahead of the law. Um, unfortunately, all that part of the story I didn't get to tell in The Legend of Ben Hall. I pick up my story really only in the last nine months of his life. And he was writing for about three and a half years as a bush ranger. And I could only tell the last nine months. And even then I feel like I skimmed over the last nine months. I mean, his story is so big yep. that I don't, I, you, I couldn't have put it all into a single film. Well, that explains why a director's cut is important. Yeah. I mean, the director's cut has like, like I said, over an hour of stuff that I had to get rid of. And even then with my director's cut, I still feel like I have not quite covered his last nine months the amount of things this guy got up to the amount of stuff that happened it's just immense well maybe that's where your whole bush rangers saga comes into play because you have had in mind and you've sort of promoted loosely over the last few years this bush ranger saga where does that stand in your mind and what what is it yeah well basically what it is is taking the script that i had the big one and and taking the first you know act one and two of that script and then turning them into their own movies and essentially focusing on a different character in each movie but all those characters appear in each other's movies so i see them not so much as like a sequel prequel you know that sort of thing but more standalone movies all in the same universe that share the same it's characters. your bru your bush ranger universe. it is it's a bush ranger universe and that's <laughs> and that's how i see it and look we've I've actually in the last Five months I've actually gotten some really strong US interest in the first one in the Frank Gardner one okay. and um, I've actually got some and again I got my tragic email this week saying hey man this US company they are interested but we're all just going to sit tight and wait for this thing to blow over so I was like ah this thing being the virus yes yeah, so um, but look so that Frank Gardner film is is bubbling away there with possibly, possibility, it may actually still happen. Well, you have my permission to use that uh, that BRU phrase. Maybe that will help you get it thank across you, the line. Thank you. It's a good one. I actually haven't heard that before, but that's that's essentially what I want to do, create a Bush Ranger universe. Uh, I wanted to sort of, I want to correct something that I have written in the past. Um, oh, yeah? So you're, you've got a great cast in this film. Jack Martin is particularly striking. He's yes. got a great screen presence. But yep. the one actor that really challenged me the most in this film was Jamie Coffer. Sure. Yeah. Now, I've heard, I, I knew that before the film was released, yeah. that he was going to be the, that he was going to be the, uh, the knife's edge. Mate, I gave this film a glowing review. You know that. But when it got released, I was a little bit critical of his performance. Mm. But the more I watched the film, the more I'm convinced that I got it wrong. Oh, yes. Because I've Good. also I've, I've looked into the character of John Gilbert. Yep. And then I realized, well, he actually nailed it. 
Like, he did. He, this guy did have a kind of mixed accent, and he was yes. kind of, you know, over the top and animated. Which, which is exactly why I cast Jamie and exactly why he is the way he is in the film. I knew he was going to be... I knew he was going to be controversial in that sense because I don't think we've ever seen a bushranger played like that. You know, it's always, you know, they're brooding, somber, blah, blah, blah. But reading history and reading what this character was like, it was like, oh, my God, this, this guy is like... Uh, a bit of a Jack Sparrow. Yeah. He's a big peacock. He's almost, um, he's almost an Emilio Estevez, Billy the Kid. Yeah, he, and that's how he was in history. And so, when you read what he was like, um, you just—it was like, oh wow, this is great. And I remember when we were editing the film, my editor was particularly struggling with this character. Like, yeah. she couldn't understand why he was being the way he was being like and she of course wasn't sure how much of what it was my direction or just this actor just totally <laughs> going off and I said no no he's meant to be this way and I said look to, to understand John Gilbert if he didn't become a bushranger he probably would have gone into theater yeah you know this but the life took him in this path he needed an audience he was just theatrical in nature and he took it in in a crime way, instead of getting into musical theatre. So well, I, ho I hope that Jamie is listening to this because that's my retraction right there. Oh, thank! I'm I'm sure he'll be very glad to hear it. But look, the funny thing is, is that I it, it's literally um, I see the split everywhere I go. Eighty yeah. percent love his performance, hmm. um, and then you get about fifteen percent that don't like it, and yeah. then you get another five percent that don't really care either way. Yeah, yeah. And I I've seen that split every everywhere I go. And I actually, that's one of the first things I did in a, one of our public screenings. I pulled him aside and I said, you know, before the screening happened, and I said, now, Jamie, we've, what I've noticed is this. So get ready for it, mate. <laughs> 80%. Love it. And the rest, mm, so just be ready for it. He so, was well prepared. He was. Oh, damn. Do you but think... I, I stand by him and I think he did, I think he did great. I do too. Like, you know, like I said, you know, I've, I've really reevaluated this over the years. There's very few films that I go back and reevaluate what I've initially said. And I'm confident in the fact that my review was glowing anyway. You know? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't even remember you saying anything about it personally. I mean, I read so many reviews, good and bad, back in the day. It would have just been a throwaway, yeah, sort of, you know, sure. every now and then you, you do a glowing review, you kind of got to then just shift your attention a little bit to the things that didn't work. But um, Sure. And that was it. I mean, I was really sure. clutching at straws, I suppose, in, in retrospect. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the funny thing is with, with Jamie um, is, as a filmmaker... I sort of feel like I want to stand in front of him and take the flag. Yeah. Because it's not Jamie's fault. You yeah. know, Jamie did exactly what I asked. He was directed. He was directed to be this yeah. way. And I pushed him bigger, bigger, mate. Go yeah. bigger, bigger, bigger. You know, so Jamie only ever did what he was told. So really, I want the I want the knives to fall on me, yeah. not Jamie. So <laughs> anyone out there who thinks that Jamie didn't was not good, you've got to point the finger at me. Matthew is your punching bag. So punch me, please. Leave <laughs> Jamie alone. The guy is one of the most wonderful actors and human beings I've ever worked with. Do you think they've ever made a good Bush Ranger film? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think that the proposition is wonderful. Yep. Um, it's not historical. It's got a lot of historical liberties. Yep. But regardless, it is a wonderful film. And I saw that in the cinema and just, I loved it, adored it. Um, look, the Ned Kelly film's not bad. Mad Dog Morgan is is really good. You know, is really good, especially for its you know time. What, that, that's probably one of my favourites. You know? Yeah, as, as hokey as it is, and maybe the it grew on me. Maybe the genre fan in me is sort of leaning towards it. But I love that film. I think it's yeah, really, really good. I I, re I appreciate it now a lot more than I did. My first viewing, I was like, whoa, this is weird and yeah. strange and really seventies. But um, I've come to really enjoy it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm I really really hope that um, you know that in as time goes on, that the legend of Ben Hall bubbles to the surface yeah. as one of the bush ranger films you know in australia that are considered amongst the top 10 i have no doubt it will so and i was really glad to see that um what was it the the, the british film institute did an article recently of the 10 best aussie you know westerns and ben hall got in and yeah. i was just oh, i could have cried i was so happy what do you think of the uh the term the meat pie western uh it's a little it's a little weird yeah maybe because i'm a vegan <laughs> yeah. i'll go with pavlova western <laughs> Yeah, there we go. But um, no, I don't mind. Um, I think it's great. I, I, you know, any anything that says Aussie, Aussie Western, I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah. Go with meat pie. I was trying to find a segue here because we we need to get on to the next segment. But um, I wanted to ask you about the Ned Kelly film in 1970. Do you do you have any sort of thoughts on that one? Yeah. Do you like it? No. No. <laughs> do you know what I find weird about that one is the fact that the soundtrack is recorded by Waylon Jennings and yes. Chris Christopherson. Yes. And they sing about these iconic Australian characters and stories in an American West way. I know. 
it's too jarring for me. I, I think there's some wonderful costuming, wonderful photography, and look, out of all the Ned Kelly films, it's probably one of the more accurate, probably yeah, right. even more than the Heath Ledger. Yeah. But um, I can't get past the bad casting, the hokey directing, and as much as people do love those songs just because they are those songs, I, they jar, they just yeah. don't work. No. I just don't feel it. It's Australian. It's it's just this. I don't know. It's a weird film for yeah. me. Oh, absolutely. I you know I can't get over that music. It's just I listened to it again leading up to this podcast. I was like, what were they thinking? Like obviously trying to preach to an American you know choir, but damn. Yeah. No, it, do- it doesn't quite work. Well, speaking of music, how the hell did you snag Glenn Richards to record a song for Ben Hall? Ah, well, okay. There's a little bit of a story to that. I'll tell it as fast as possible. Glenn, um, Glenn Richards being the lead singer of Augie March. Augie March. 2008, I was writing this big Ben Hall script that yep. I told you about, the big $30 million one, and I was showing Twin Rivers at the Port Augusta Cinema, and I told my partner at the time as I was listening to Augie March driving all the way up to Port Augusta, and I said, if I ever make a Ben Hall film, I'm going to ask Augie March to write the end credit song. Yeah. And then as I was um, doing uh, preparing uh, for um, to about to shoot the, the feature film, that came to me, it just came back to me like, you wanted Augie March, remember that? And I was like, oh, yeah. So I just jumped on their website and just went, hey, I'm Matthew. I'm making a Bushranger film. And I'd love you to do I've always wanted you to do this. And he wrote back like the next day and said, yeah, man, we'll talk about it. Wow. And we just started talking about it. And I showed him some footage. And he said, that looks great. And before you knew it, as I was filming, like there were days on set, I'd go to set and he'd have all these like tr- songs on my inbox, like just trial things he'd been mm. playing with. And I'd be listening to them just before I went to set. And when I heard... 16 Silent Mouths, just the first few bars of it, I was like, okay, that's it. You've hit it. You've hit it. This is fantastic. Yeah. And um, and he just went away and recorded it while wow. we were doing post. Dreams do come true. It was an absolute dream come true. And I think there's something to be said about that, that if you say you're going to do something yeah, and you just, with, with that conviction of it's going to happen, yeah, it may take, in my case, almost 10 years, mm-hmm. but I think you set something in motion. Yep. And I, that's why I always tell people, I will make territorial. I will make this film. I will make that film. You're just going to have to wait for it. I'll have to wait for yeah. it, but I've set it in motion by saying it. So. Well, you know, many people actually call me the doppelganger for Glenn Richards, so... I, yeah, actually, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> well, I can see it. Yeah, I get asked if I'm like, I've been to gigs and I've been asked for autographs. Wow. And we yeah, both, okay. Because they say, hey, Glenn, and I turn around because that's my name. And it's of like, course, yeah. yeah. I, anyway. I, I can't see it. I can see it, but because yeah. I know you and... Yeah, but now that... Go and do a, a side-by-side profile. You, man, you'll, you'll shave the goatee, get your hair a bit foppish, <laughs> put on a guitar and a suit, I think you'll pass oh, for him. Oh, man, well, let's have a listen to it right now, 16 Silent Mouths. Of sheep for two friends. 
Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see. Hey guys, it is Adam here from Adam's Just Seen, and this week I am reviewing Motherless Brooklyn, a passion project from writer, director, producer, and possibly caterer, Edward Norton. Now, Norton has been trying to make this film for 20 years, and it is based on the novel by Jonathan Lethem, and he has transposed the setting from the 1990s to the 1950s, and so this is a gumshoe movie, and it centers on Lionel, played by Norton, a uh, gumshoe with Tourette's and a photographic memory, and after his mentor, played by Bruce Willis, is whacked, then Lionel goes down the rabbit hole to find out what is going on in Brooklyn. Now, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, it has polarized some people because of its length, and some people have said it's got too many loose ends and there's too many tonal changes, but I found it really, really entertaining. I think that Norton has real chops as a director. Here he's kind of emulating Martin Scorsese, and there's kind of a fluidity to the camera work, and I thought there were some really funny parts, some great suspense. I just think that the movie is really multifaceted, um, and it's just really good to have Norton front and center in a movie again. I think that there was a certain time where pound for pound Norton was the greatest actor on the planet and I think between American History X, Primal Fear and Fight Club, The People vs. Larry Flint, that there was no one that could beat him. Um, it's a shame that he has dropped off but it's great to have him back here and look you know by the time that everything is said and done maybe he will be in the pantheon of great actors. Uh, he's offered fantastic support here by people like Willem Dafoe and Alec Baldwin and as I said before Bruce Willis and it all adds up to what I think is, you know, like maybe a little bit of like a minor classic in that noir sense of Chinatown, LA Confidential. Yeah, and I just, you know, I had a bit of a blast with this. It's got a great atmosphere to it as well, which I think is lacking in a lot of movies. And Edward Norton has been on the record has always been a really big fan of Radiohead. And here he has collaborated with Tom York to make a beautiful track called Daily Babbles, which pops up in this movie a few times. And it just gives it a real soul. So look, if you like Norton, if you like noirs, I think that this is definitely worth your time. And I would give it four stars. So that's Motherless Brooklyn. Four stars from Adam. Go and check it out. Well, damn, I am looking forward to Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, who who the hell knows where we'll get to see that one? Hopefully on VOD or streaming before long. Certainly won't be at the cinemas anytime soon. No, I'm afraid not. Uh, so let's get to recommending some films. What All have you right. got up your sleeve? Okay, I'm going to recommend a film that I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen, and I really would recommend they do, and that is Black 47. I know of this one. This is a war yes, film? Yes, no. You don't have you haven't seen it either. No, I haven't seen it. Wow, I know uh, I know the artwork. Yeah. Okay. Black Forty Seven. Now the reason I'm recommending this is because uh, we're talking about Ben Hall. Yep. This if Ben Hall is an Irish uh, Australian Western, Black Forty Seven is an Irish Western. Really? And how many Irish Westerns have you seen? They don't have the West. They don't. <laughs> but you know the Western is. You know, the, the gunslinger yeah, yeah. comes to town, there's injustice, and he goes after revenge, and, you know, it's probably more a Western than even Ben Hall is. Yeah, right. Um, but it is that, it is the Western model yep. put onto the um, 1847 Black Plague sort of terrible famine situation right. that happened in Ireland. Hugely successful film in Ireland, and one of the reasons I recommend it is because it has two Australians in it, Hugo Weaving and James Freshville. And, uh, you know, both Australian actors and they, they play the leads and, uh, it is a really moody atmospheric. And if you love a good Western, you'll love black 47. I'm currently holding the Blu-ray in my hand. I do know the cover very well, actually, now that you come, mm. now but that it, you say it, it. It came and went without a whisper, especially here in, like I said, in Ireland, it did really well because this is one of the most famous periods of, in Irish history. Um, but from the moment I saw the trailer, I was like, yeah, I've got to see that. And. Everyone I speak to, no one's seen it. So the um the the quote on the cover says a gritty revenge tale for fans of actioners like the proposition. Yeah, I would definitely put it in the unforgiven, um, the proposition. It's definitely in one of those, but with this Irish flavour. Awesome. Know. Well, it, I'm going to get on it. I just love the colour scheme of the artwork. That's oh, cool. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, and it's a really it's just a solid solid movie. So and um, that's I'm, that's what 
streaming doesn't have is good yeah. artwork, you know, like and of that, course that you well, can, tangible stuff. Yeah, I don't want to ever let go. I, I'm I'm now resorting to making my own covers for things that I don't have covers for because yeah. it's got to have a cover. I used you know? to do that with VHS. Yeah, yeah, uh. I used to do that, and it's even easier to do now with <laughs> Officeworks printing and Photoshop. So let's move on. My recommendation is a film that I watched most recently called The Park Is Mine, and I think you commented when I posted this the on Facebook. The Park Is Mine. This is notable for being the first movie produced for HBO starring Tommy Lee Jones. It's about a Vietnam War vet who takes Central Park, uh, who takes control of Central Park, I should say, in New York City to raise awareness for veterans' issues. Right. He rigs the whole park up with bombs and a That's an right. I vaguely remember watching this when I was a kid. I don't know if it was on video or if it was on television. Yeah, I think the same. I think I saw my parents watch some of it one night. Yeah. Um, back in the, yeah, was it like the late early 90s or yeah something? i think well it was an 80s film i think i saw it on television if i'm uh, gonna yeah, be yeah. honest um but i recently rediscovered it you can actually rent it on youtube so oh, okay. it just i felt like watching it so yeah, i did right. the transfer or whatever you call it is pristine this is almost oh, like wow. it's listed from a blu-ray wow almost too pristine because throughout the whole film he wears really shiny aviator glasses and you can constantly see the crew reflected oh, in them okay yes uh, which is unfortunate but i kind of think so much time has passed that's a kooky element to it you know sure, you, you yeah. can overlook it once you know that you're gonna cop it like, of course of yeah, tripods yeah. and whatnot <laughs> and you can kind of uh, let it go but this movie was made just after he did the coal miner's daughter right so pretty Hayes. early days yeah but he was sort of getting ready to peak Okay, what, Fugitive coming up to Fugitive? Oh, or is that the, still a little while away? Ten years away. That right. was um, Black Moon Rising with Linda Hamilton, the one John Carpenter. You know, right? I never heard of that film until today. Really? Can you believe I never heard of that film until today? Like before I said it? Bef- like two hours ago, someone posted a, a poster of that film today on Facebook, and I went, I've never heard of that film before. Wow, and you just you talked go. about it. <laughs> there you go. So, so yeah. Um, so that was sort of... Who directed that? The, 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 the park one, the park is oh, mine. the park is mine. I don't know the director's right, name. Right, okay. Um, I remember looking him up and he'd done a couple of, he's done a lot of television. Right. Uh, this was his only sort of, I wouldn't even call it theatrical film because it was HBO. Right. It may have gone theatrical, but the beauty of it, I think, and it was unique at the time, HBO, you're allowed to swear, the action's quite gratuitous. Ah, oh, cool. So it's, you know, don't think it's a TV film by any means. Yeah, you know, right. it's, not it's a actually... safe little TV. No. Do, do you know what, how many of these wonderful undiscovered forgotten movies are out there that just aren't on the platforms yeah. like that's what i want streaming to be yeah. just a plethora of movies that you've never heard of by the hundreds that you go oh my god this thing exists yeah that's what streaming is to me but it feels like it's just anything that's only it's only like 10 years and nothing beyond yeah. unless it's something you've seen before like Shawshank yeah. redemption yeah so I, I mean i guess if you consider youtube to be a platform because they do rent and Oh, of course, but you know you don't get it all in one big sort of block of recommend. No. You know, True. like like you do on Netflix, you've got to dig. You got to find it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Gotta dig. I just went through a rabbit hole of you know Tommy Lee Jones films because I think right. actually not long after he did um, Lonesome Dove. Oh yes, which is a great western. Do you like that one? Uh, you know what? I have never seen it. Yeah, but I have been wanting to buy Lonesome Dove for so long. Yeah, and I just keep watching those Blu-rays, waiting for the right price, and I'm going to pounce. Yeah, the Blu-rays. I've I've got that um, the box set with all the series in it. You know, Streets of Laredo and yep. and all. And oh, cool. To no, I've got to see it. I mean, Simon Wince is one of the direct Australian directors that yeah. I you know I really admire his work. I love the Snowy River films, and I love the Horse Light Horseman. Yeah, you know, right. I know Simon as well, so I really should. I really I'm glad you didn't say Crocodile Dundee 3. No, you know, I'd never seen it, so I can't say anything. <laughs> okay, we'll leave the criticisms to me. <laughs> anyway, let's announce the prize winners and do some giveaways. So the winner from last week's competition goes by the Facebook name of Alex Marchin. Now, I know that's not a real name. It looks like a fake name to me. Okay. Uh, but I don't know who this person is, obviously. So I'm just going to go by Alex Marchin. Okay. So um, anyway, you do seem like a purveyor of trash, like my good self. And um, he recommended Jim Wynorski's sci-fi horror cult classic, Chopping Mall. So I asked, oh, Chopping Mall. Yeah, last... I remember seeing that in the horror section as I worked in the video store all the time. Well, chopping the, the Mall. Cover, the, the poster art was glorious, but it didn't reflect the film one iota. I often felt that about those horror films, that the poster art was the best part of the movie. Yeah, it's the Charles Band method. That's, you know, that's okay. what that is. But yeah. anyway, congratulations, mate. We'll get in touch and we'll send you out the movies that you have won. Uh, you will be receiving Itsy Bitsy and Into the Ashes from Eagle Entertainment, as well as Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich on Blu-ray, thanks to Monster Pictures. This week is the most exciting of all because we're giving away copies of Twin Rivers on Yay. Blu-ray and The Legend of Ben Hall, plus the original soundtrack to Ben Hall. 
this is exciting. Like, yeah, I'm glad to give them away to someone who hopefully has not seen either of them. Well, particularly considering that Twin Rivers is, you know, hard to come by. Very once hard that, to come by. Once that box runs dry. Once, yeah, this is one of one of 50 that are left in the entire world. So, and I don't think I'll be reprinting them. So, you know, good Get luck, on everyone. It. Get on it. Um, should we should we say they're signed by the director? I think we should. Sure, yeah, they are signed. Do, let's do that. We're yeah. going to sign them right after we finish yes, this Yes, they will be signed. Uh, so this one is really easy to win. All you have to do is engage with us on any of our social media platforms. So drop us a line on the Good Movie Monday Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram pages, and we'll pluck a winner at random and announce them on next week's show. Spe- awesome. Yeah, speaking of next week's show, it's a bit up in the air at this moment because we were going to have Adam Ross with us at the desk, but with this whole social distancing and self-quarantine business, we have no idea if that's actually going to happen. So nah. watch this space. We'll confirm or announce next week's main attraction on Wednesday. But... Huge thanks to the usual suspects, Jared Garn, Guillermo Troncoso, Adam Ross, and Wes Forsyth from Scarefest Television, and my sincere thanks to Matthew Holmes for being here this morning. Oh, um, pleasure. And I'm no coronavirus is going to keep me away from it. So no, I was going to come. I don't care if it's infected or whatever. So yeah, thanks for having me, man. We, we did tap elbows to say good day. <laughs> we did, but we kept a respectful distance. Um, so Sleeved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, here's hoping that the director's cut of Ben Halls does grow legs and take off eventually. Oh, look, man, it's going to happen. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I will make it happen. Oh, well, thank you to everyone also for listening. And we're going to sign off with a classic song from possibly the greatest Bush Ranger film of all time. It's Japanar by Yothi Gindi from the 1993 masterpiece Reckless Kelly. Oh, nice.